All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm guessing when you woke up this morning, you just shot out of bed and there was one thing on your mind today. I have to get to worship today. If I'm going to make it to worship, if I'm going to go to church any Sunday, it's this day because it is the anniversary of the Reformation. Amen? We got some work to do, I think. And you call yourselves Lutherans, I'll tell you what, right? Sometimes it's easy to forget last year was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. But even if you forgot that, even if that was not even on your radar at all, it's okay because it has way more to do with you than you think. Every year, Lutherans and really a lot of Protestants um, really celebrate this weekend, the last weekend of, of October. No, not as Halloween, uh, not, but as All Saints Day, essentially, which corresponds with the anniversary of the Reformation. So the, this day, the anniversary of when Martin Luther, the German monk, nailed these 95 theses or 95 challenges to the Roman Catholic Church at the time and nailed them to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and historians will uh, largely call that the beginning, the official beginning of what's called the Protestant Reformation, which is this centuries-long uh, renewal that the church went through that you heard about there in the video that literally changed human history forever. However, some of you are like, geez, John, this is a lot of Lutheran stuff. But you may know this if you've hung around Hope uh, for long enough. You may know that one of our favorite sayings is that we're a Jesus church first and we're a Lutheran church second. And what do we mean by that is that our primary allegiance is not to a denomination or to a tradition, but it is to Jesus. I've never had anybody come up to me after worship and just go grab me by the arm and say, wow, John, that was incredible. It was so Lutheran. Like, I've never had anybody do that, and, and that's whether good or bad, that's not our hope. Our number one desire is to connect you with the love of Jesus Christ and get connected in that way. But that doesn't mean that we set aside our, our history. That we need to remember who we are. We don't set aside the history and traditions and our heritage as Lutherans. Rather, it's something that, that we're proud of. There's a reason that we're Lutheran Church of Hope, okay? Not the random Lutheran Church on Ingersoll, okay? We are Lutheran Church of Hope for a reason, and that shapes our preaching and our teaching and our understanding of what it means to be the church. And rather than being Lutheran as some sort of, well, that's, uh, it's about certain worship styles or a certain about certain church, what church buildings look like, or whether you have steeple or stained glass windows, or whether you sing hymns, or the pastor wears a robe or jeans or anything like that, I think that what we're going to come to find today, what I hope that you see, is primarily what it means to be Lutheran and what it means, most importantly, to be a follower of Jesus is somebody that has been radically transformed by the grace of God. And so today we don't start with more history or theology. We start with a story of God's grace. There is a young man that uh, was walking along the road one day, and his story was that he was going to follow in his father's footsteps, and he was really training on, on a trajectory in his life to become a lawyer until God showed up. Until God literally knocked him down on the road and spoke very loudly and clearly to him that he's going to change the direction of his life forever and he, to become a priest. And so he followed and he was obedient to that. And so he enrolled in seminary. And it was during his first year in seminary that there was a question. He was given an assignment. And the question was this, how do we please God? How can we be good enough before God. And this was a question that has rocked his world for almost his entire life. He never felt good enough. Like there was this man that God had called him to be, but no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't get there. He kept messing up. For every step that he took forward in his godliness, it felt like he took two steps back. How will I be 
good enough, essentially. And so to kind of illustrate that for you, back from the prop room here today, it was almost like the story of his life was, was like a giant ladder. And if this ladder represents every single one of our lives, the question for this young man was, you know, I kind of feel like in comparison to the top of the ladder, which is a holy, pure, righteous, perfect God, well, I'm nowhere close. I'm, I'm down here. And essentially, this gap exists between who I am and who God is calling me to be. How can I ever please him? How can I make God happy with me? How do I know that I've earned God's love? Well, to make matters worse, the church in the day and age when he was growing up was teaching these these skewed teachings of the Bible that somehow we could perform and we could do acts of penance, essentially good deeds before God, and that you could improve your standing before God. If if you're here and, and God's way up there, that maybe if I read my Bible a little bit more, pray a little bit more, give a little bit more money to the church or whatever, if I bow down and kiss the hand of the priest, then maybe I could even get a better standing in heaven. I could get my family members out of purgatory. I could get them out of hell. And, and maybe I would, if I gave more money to the church, I could climb up a few rungs. The problem is none of that is in the Bible. And that's one of the struggles that this young man had. The harder and harder and harder I try, I just can't, I don't feel like God loves me. I feel like I can't win and earn his approval. I'm not enough. You ever been there? I don't feel like that's just his story. I feel like that's all of our story. I'm guessing that every single one of us that walked through those doors today and came in here at one point in our lives have felt like we don't measure up. I'm not a good enough mom. I'll never be a good enough dad. I'll never be a good enough husband or wife or teacher or mentor or friend or leader or coworker or whatever. I'm not enough. I'll never measure up. And I don't really know if God loves me. I don't really know if he's pleased with me or not. Maybe I know God loves me, but I still feel like I need to earn it somehow. I am always shocked and amazed in talking with people, not outside the church, but inside the church. I'm always amazed at the level of guilt and shame and self-hatred that exists in a body of believers that are called to know the extravagant love that God has for us. It blows my mind, and and I'm one of you. (laughs) I'm one of them that sometimes wonders, God, maybe I know you love everybody, but do you like me? And I don't even know if I like myself. I I don't even know if I'm good enough. I don't even know if I measure up in that way. There's not a week that goes by where I don't hear Christians, people in the church saying, I don't feel like I'm a good enough Christian. I'm down here and God's up there. And certainly, you know, maybe some of you feel like you're a little bit higher up, but most of us feel like we're down at the bottom of that ladder. I'm not very good. If you've ever felt like you don't measure up or you're not good enough, then you're going to fit right in at this Lutheran church because the story of that young man is none other than the story of Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran movement. So you are in good company in this church. There's Martin right there uh, having a tough day uh, up there. Um, I am convinced that Luther had a personality, but that picture would lead you to believe otherwise. I mean, does he look like the kind of guy you'd want to, you know, go hang out with on a Friday night? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, Luther was a good guy. He had a tough day uh, that day. But maybe Luther's biggest struggle is your biggest struggle today. What do I do with that gap? 
What do, I, what do I do with the gap that exists between where I feel like I'm at and my brokenness living in light of a holy, righteous, perfect God? What do I do with that gap? That was his biggest struggle. And if you've ever feel like I'm not good enough, if you've ever wondered, what does God really want from me? What does God really think of me? Well, then today our story is for you. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 18. We've been going through this series the last couple weeks uh, called Stories of Us. And we've been looking at these stories and these parables that Jesus has been telling. And so before we dive in, sometimes it's helpful to know the context of the story. When you read the Bible, I really want to encourage you to read what's before it and read what's after it. Never just pull these random obscure verses out and say, well, I know what that means, Okay. We really want to understand the context, and sometimes it's helpful to know the backstory behind these. So imagine with me, long ago there was a young boy, many, 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 many years before Luther's time, that grew up along the sea. We'll call him Aaron. Aaron was the son of a blacksmith who worked long hours, seven days a week, just to provide for his family and put food on the table. Aaron was a young man, a young boy at the time, and he had heard stories about Yahweh. He'd heard stories about God, and yet he was convinced that God didn't have time for him. He eventually took a liking to math and banking, and he was pretty good at it, and he wanted to help others with their money. His motives were very pure. But because he came from uh, a little bit lower-income family and didn't have the education, Aaron landed the only job that he could find in those days, which was to be a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were known far and wide in that day and age in that culture for being liars and cheats and thieves. Nobody liked tax collectors. I mean, they, were, they weren't even on the ladder. They were way down there in people's eyes. And it was over time that Aaron, in order to provide, felt like he wanted to take the easy way out. And so as money came in to his money bags, he would set aside a little bit for himself on the side. And soon enough, he had fallen into that same stereotype of liars, cheats, and thieves. And he came to a point in his life where he was empty inside. And he wondered, maybe as some of you have, maybe as I have, well, God, what do you think of me now? Have I messed up too badly? What could Jesus possibly want with me? Until one day, outside the temple, a rabbi from Nazareth showed up and changed his life forever. Take a look. When Jesus knows your deepest pain and your deepest wounds, and he knows everything about you like he's been reading your mail your whole life, and he shows up having never met you, that's powerful. What if, what if that would have been you that day, that Jesus shows up and knows every part of your story. Now, do we know that that was Aaron's story? Do we know that's the backstory? Not necessarily. Was that his name? Not necessarily. But he had a name, as did the tax collector, as did the Pharisee. It's one thing to read the Bible and say, those people, those tax collectors, those sinners, those Pharisees are for us here today, those liberals those conservatives, those rich people, those poor people, those city people, those suburb people, those people. But they had names and they had stories and so do you. And Jesus knows your story today. 
He knows maybe how far away you feel (laughs) from him today. He knows every part of it. What is your story? How do you view yourself before God? What's, what's been your attempts to close that gap? What are, what are your solutions to close that gap today? Jesus is telling us that there's, very, there's two very clear distinctions of how we can close that gap in our story today. So what a lot of us love to do is we love to just pretend that that gap doesn't exist. We say, you know, well, I mean, I'm not... I'm not here, but I'm not up there. I mean, this is like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham territory up here. So I'm probably like in here somewhere, right? I'm not that good, but certainly I'm not that bad either. So we just kind of avoid that there's that chasm, that there's that gap. Others of you adopt the performance mindset and say, if I could just do all these things for God, if I could just be good enough, and it, my, my, my standing before God is in terms of how I feel like I'm doing as a mom, as a dad, as a parent, as a sibling, as a, whatever it is, how I'm doing and performing as a follower of Jesus. That's how I feel about myself. But neither of those approaches are biblical. Jesus, in this parable, lays out two different approaches to God that we can have. One of them, he directly confronts, don't you love Jesus? He just kind of went in there and picked a fight. I just love Jesus. I just love his character. I love his heart. Not to, for having a fight's sake, couldn't stand self-righteous, hypocritical people that just looked down in judgment on other people. Jesus loved the people at the bottom of the ladder because, well, that's where we're all at. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Two very different ways to approach God in the tax collector and the Pharisee. Everybody take your hands, if you would, with me really quick. This is audience participation time. And clench your fists wherever you're at. Clench your fists as tightly as you can tighter than that. You can do better than that. Really tight, okay? Tight as you can, okay? Some of you, that's where you're at today. That's your approach. My heart is closed off. It's hard. It's like concrete. It's like cement. There ain't no nothing getting in. I got drug here today. God, I feel far away from you. I feel apathetic to you. I've got pride. I'm too busy for you, God, and our hearts are closed off to God. Now, very slowly, release your fingers and open them up. Doesn't that feel so much better? This is what God wants from you today. Are you open to receiving his love? Are you surrendered to him? Are you open to receiving his grace? Are you closed? Are you open? But that's not the only comparison that Jesus is drawing today. The second comparison that we see in this story between the Pharisee and the tax collector, one was self-righteous, one was self-aware. Everybody say aware. Are you aware? (laughs) Are you self-aware or are you self-righteous? Because the thing is, we can't be both. Because when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God, okay? If you've got a full glass of water and you attempt to dump another full glass of water into it, it's going to overflow, right? There's no room. When we're full of ourselves and we're self-righteous, there's no room to be filled by God. The Pharisee was self-righteous. The tax collector was self-aware. And self-awareness is what happens when, when we view ourselves in light of who God is, I'm going to take a detour all the way back to the book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 8. And the psalmist writes this. He puts it this way. We can look at this on the screen. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is humankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. What is the psalmist saying? We are called in our lives to live with a supernatural, huge view of who God is 
and a realistic or small view of who we are in light of that. The danger comes when we flip that and we get a puffed up or supernatural view of who we are and a small, mundane, normal view of who God is. Sometimes we want Jesus to be our buddy and we forget that he's the God of the universe that flung the galaxies into place in the palm of his hand. Sometimes we have to look up and, and, and look, as it says in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, that the angels gather around the throne and they can't even look because the glory of God is so powerful and all they can say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The God that we worship is not some pushover. The God that we worship doesn't have a shelf life that you can take him out once a week and have him be your Sunday God and then put him back and do life on your own Monday through Saturday. He's the God of the universe. And we're called to stand in awe of him. And when we do that, it puts our lives in perspective. And then we understand how incredible grace is. That that God that Psalm 8 is talking about walked among us. He's walked in your shoes. He understands your story. He came and lived and died and rose again so that you could live in relationship with him today. That same God knows your name. And he knows you. And he knows your story and you can live with him forever. That's why it's called amazing grace. And we, we get that perspective. It seems to me like the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we grow in maturity, we are much more likely to see the struggles and the issues and the problems in our own life instead of pointing them out in other people's. Now, it doesn't mean that we never speak the truth in love, that we do that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it seems like the people that I talk to in this church that are growing in their faith, that are maturing, that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, the longer they follow God, the more they realize they have to learn. The more I learn about God, the more questions I have. Well, because he's God and I'm not, right? And you're not. God is huge. And when we're in that mindset, it enlarges our view of God. So how do we grow in our self-awareness? How do we do that so that we're a little bit more like the tax collector and not so much the Pharisee in this story? How do we grow in our self-awareness? Number one, we worship God regularly. We worship God regularly. Have you ever had one of these moments in worship and maybe you're raising your hands and maybe you're not, you're not an expressive person like that and that's totally fine, but have you ever had one of those moments in worship where you are just caught up in what's happening and for a brief moment, you are just consumed by God. Doesn't mean that when you go back to your life and your circumstances are going to be any different, but your perspective is totally different. That's what happens when we worship because we were created to worship God. And all of a sudden, my stress and my anxiety and my self-centeredness and my pride gets put in perspective because I realize <gasps> who it is that I'm worshiping. I'm not just singing some words on a screen. I'm having a conversation with the God that made me. The God that holds the world together in the palm of his hands and he wants to have a relationship with me. Okay, that's a game changer. Now I have some self-awareness of where I am in light of who God is. The second way that we can grow in our self-awareness, there's no other way to say it, so I'm just gonna say it. You gotta get yourself some good friends, okay? That was a little Southern of me or something like that. Not sure where that came from. You got to get yourself some good friends. And by good friends, I mean truth tellers. I mean people that are going to tell you the truth about who you are. See, the thing, about, <laughs> the thing about blind spots is that we're blind to them. Oh, John, I know what my blind spots are. I'm pretty, I know myself pretty well. No, the thing is we all have blind spots and we're blind to them. 
The reason the Pharisee was acting the way that he was that day is because in that sect, in the, in the, in the Pharisees, in that Jewish sect, they all just fed in to their ego. They all just fed into this puffed up mindset of themselves and they had no truth tellers in their lives. The quickest way for you and I to have a skewed perspective of who we are is to live life alone. The quickest way to lose your perspective on who God is and who you are in light of that is to never have anybody giving any input into your life. You can live in denial all you want, but the truth will set you free, Jesus says. And of the many reasons that we're doing this life group experience uh, here starting tonight is because we were created for community. You can't become more like Jesus alone. And the people that I talk to in this church that have been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, they say the, the older I get and the longer I follow Jesus, the more I need my small group. The older I get, the longer I follow Jesus. It's not like a, ah, been there, done that. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing and study my Bible and pray on my own. They're like, I am desperate for community because I know I can't become the man or woman of God that he's called me to be unless I am plugged in with my family, my church family, that there are people that know me and can speak truth into my life and call me out on things if necessary. One of the powerful things about community is that it keeps us humble. And that's the next difference that Jesus is drawing up in this story, is that one approach to God is pride or being proud, and the other approach is humility, is being humble. When it comes to pride, I love how Proverbs 16, uh, verse 18, talks about this. This is the message version. Let's read this together up on the screen. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. (laughs) I love how Peterson puts that. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. I was thinking about that this week. You ever wonder why some of the loudest, most popular, successful people that you know are often the most sensitive? They have a bigger ego to protect. Because one little criticism and the entire false self that they've constructed comes crashing down. Some of the loudest, most popular, seemingly successful and confident people in the world are the most sensitive because they don't know who they are apart from their mask. As opposed to that, humble people, some of the most joy-filled people that you know. Why? We've got nothing to protect, right? I pray that that's the case for us, that we're, we're open and, and humble before God. We have nothing to protect so we can live life freely and openly. Pride is determined by how we view ourselves before God. Do you view yourself vertically before God or do you view yourself horizontally before God? You see, the reason it was so easy for the Pharisee to have this self-righteous judgment on other people is that he was thoroughly convinced that he had to be up here somewhere. I mean, I'm not God, but I'm close, right? I do all these things. I do all these rituals. I do all these religious things. And so I'm going to look down at these tax collectors that are way down there because I feel like I'm higher than them. It's easy to puff yourself up when you're isolated and filled with pride. But the, 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 the difference that he was doing is that he wasn't comparing himself vertically. He was comparing himself to others horizontally. Anybody ever take a class in high school or college where the professor graded on a curve? Okay, some of you are teachers, maybe you do that, and that's okay, and that's good, okay? The problem is, is that when we do that, we kind of fall into this temptation of thinking that God grades on a curve. When you're sitting in one of those classes, and maybe it's biology, 
and you're really good at biology, and you're a junior or senior, and you look around the room, and you're like, okay, I am going to dominate this class, okay? Grading on a curve, these people have got nothing on me. I'm so much smarter than they are. But then you're terrible at calculus, and you get into calculus, and you look around, and you're like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. I'm in a room with a bunch of smarty pants all around me, right? So I'm in real trouble. And the problem is God doesn't grade on a curve, And yet we think that all the time. Our culture is notorious for this. We take one little sin or fault in people's lives and we stick it on the evening news and we lift it up in the news and in the media we say, look at these people. Meaning-wise, meanwhile, we've got all of our stuff over here. Oh, you're an alcoholic? Yeah, but half of our culture are workaholics and it's killing families and it's killing their soul while they're at it but we don't talk about those things because I'm farther up the ladder than you, or so we think. I'm not like those people. All I have to do to feel better about myself, says the Pharisee, is know that I'm better than the tax collector. I'm better than the prostitutes. I'm better than those people. The problem is God doesn't grade on a curve, and God doesn't grade horizontally. God grades vertically. And when God looks at us, of course we're down there. Our good deeds are like filthy rags, the Bible says, compared to him. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's only when we hold ourselves up to a holy, pure, and righteous, perfect God that we know that we'll never measure up. And so I've got bad news for you today, and I've got really, really good news on this Reformation Sunday. The bad news is we can't fill that gap. No matter how much you run up and down that ladder, no amount of weekly worship, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of praying, no amount of being nice, no amount of being a good religious person is going to close that gap. There is only one person that can close that gap, and he's already did it. He's already done it. His name is Jesus Christ. When he came and lived and died and rose again, he paid the penalty for our sins. He closed that gap. He has done the performing for us so you can stop trying to be good enough because Jesus has been good enough for you. The entire Reformation is based on this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not by works, not by running up and down the ladder so that none of us can boast. The bad news is you can't close that gap. The good news is it's already been closed for you. There is nothing that we can do to earn something that's already been given to us. And so instead of living in in guilt and condemnation and self-hatred, which so many of us struggle with, instead followers of Jesus are called to live with this. Humble confidence. Everybody say humble. Everybody say confidence. Now, do those two words normally don't go together? No, right? But here's why, because of the gospel. Humble because we had nothing to do with the cross. We had nothing to do with our own salvation. But confidence, because instead of this false self or this mask we have to put on to feel better about ourselves, we can live in confidence because our identity is in Christ. We know who we are. And so we have confidence because Jesus says, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am redeemed. When the devil comes and plants all these lies in our head, and when we look at our past, and we get slapped on with those labels that the world loves or that we put on ourselves, 
You're a mistake. You're a failure. You're a nobody. You're a has-been. You're ugly. You're not wanted. You're not valuable. You can stare your enemy in the face and say, nope, I am a child of God. I am a son and daughter of the king and kings of Lord of Lords, and my past and my mistakes and my wounds and my failures have nothing on me because I am forgiven by Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the foundation of the Protestant Reformation. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that's what Luther discovered, and that's what he taught his congregation. So as you watch this next clip, consider hearing this, that God loves you. He's not angry with you. He's not angry with you. For the very first time hearing that. And also in a more humorous way, consider a new haircut that your pastor is considering. Let's take a look. Imagine hearing for the very first time that God is not angry with you. Imagine hearing for the first time that the Bible speaks of a God of love and a God of grace. And what Luther discovered is that humble people, humble people don't have a low self-hatred view of themselves. Humble people have a God view of themselves. They don't see themselves through the lens of how they feel from day to day. Humble people see themselves through how God feels about them, and that never changes. He likes you. You may not like yourself when you look in the mirror, but he likes you. He loves you. He's madly in love with you, and he's pursuing you today, whether you feel lovable or not. And there is more than enough grace for you. He is more than enough. Humble people say, I am a great sinner, like the tax collector. I am a great sinner. But praise the Lord, I have a great Savior. Hope's not a great church because any of us are great. We're great because we have a great God. Amen? We have a great Savior, and that's why it's amazing grace. There's two ways to live life, as if everything is grace or nothing is grace. As if we're entitled to everything or we're entitled to nothing. As if everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. I remember distinctly when I think about all is grace. I remember distinctly a couple years ago, uh, my wife Tiffany got me uh, a birthday present and Christmas present together. She got me tickets, and not just any tickets, but tickets to God's country, to Iowa City, for a Hawkeye football game. And we hadn't been in a couple years, so I was, I was pretty jacked. I was pretty excited. And well, you know, the budget's tight. And so we, you know, got, again, not preseason, but it was one of those early season games that's kind of a, almost a guaranteed win, you know, and you're playing a smaller school. And so we get the tickets and uh, it's a beautiful fall day and we get there. But I will tell you this, I don't remember a lot about the game that day because I was so focused on this guy that was a couple sections over uh, from us. His name was Tim. We got to meet him uh, really quick. And I just was so focused on him before the game even started. I mean, the stands were full when it started. I just, I could not take my eyes off of him. He was so pumped to be there. I mean, I'm excited. I'm a Hawkeye fan. I get pretty excited. But Tim was through the roof, and I looked over at him, and I just noticed, not in a judgmental way, but his clothes were a little older. Like, he looked like he just walked out of 1984 as a Hawkeye fan, and not in a judgmental way, but just in a, I don't think this guy has a lot going for him. And, 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 and he was a little tattered and torn and, and just looked a little down, but he was alone and he was so fired up to be there. He, you could tell it in his eyes. He's like, I'm not going to trade this. And the game hadn't even started. And he was jumping up and down. He went, Go Hawkeyes! Woo! It's just like he was in his elements. And I'll never forget, he had a crank radio 
Does anybody remember those? A crank radio to keep it going. So radio was this thing that, okay, that's another sermon. So it was a crank radio, and he just had it pressed up against his ear, and he was jumping up and down. Go Hawkeyes! I mean, even in timeouts, he was just so fired up. Well, as the game went on, it got to the fourth quarter, and it was a blowout, and Iowa was up by 40, 50 points. And so a lot of people had left. But not Tim. And not us, because I want to get my money's worth. But, <laughs> but not Tim. And he was... <laughs> He was just as fired up in the fourth quarter with Iowa up by 47 points as he was before the game even started. He had that radio pressed up against his ear, listening, you know, to the broadcast. Didn't want to miss any of WHO 1040, you know, and the the radio and, and everything that they were saying on there. And he was so pumped up. He was like just in awe that he was even in in the room. And I remember Tiffany watching me, and she knows me so well that she knows I'm processing next week's sermon illustration right now. And she looked over at me and says, what if this was his big dream? What, what if this was his big dream? And I just turned and watched and all, you know, in the midst of what was left of all the loud, obnoxious fans and so many people had left and the rest of the people were you know, on their phones because the, the game that's across the country that you're looking at updates for is more important than being fully present with the people that you're with right now. And yet in the midst of all of that, indifference and apathy is Tim just soaking up every single moment. And I wondered to myself, I wondered if he'd been planning for this day, this moment for years. Maybe in five to 10 years, he can afford to go to one Hawkeye game. And that he'd been saving up for a long time. And in that moment, all I could think about was how busy I had been the week before with work and everything, and I just, how I rushed through my week, and I wasn't even thinking about, I get to spend a Saturday afternoon with my bride to soak in every moment, but not Tim. For Tim, all was grace. There wasn't an entitled bone in his body. Tim and his crank radio. (laughs) He knew the gift. He knew what a gift this was, and he knew he didn't deserve it. Because when you understand grace, it is impossible to be entitled. When you get grace and it sinks down deep into your bones, you know all of life is a miracle. Not just getting to go to a Hawkeye game. All of life, the fact that you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs and life and that your heart is beating right now and you're sitting here and you got to come to church and worship the God of the universe and sit next to people that know you and love you as your church family is grace. It's all grace. And I just, as a church, I don't want us to miss it. Because when you've been given a gift, that's what you do. You open it up and you soak it all in. There's been so many moments, even since having kids, it just messes with you so much that God just stops me and say, don't miss this moment, John. Just breathe it in. Football game with your wife. Legos on the floor with your son. Tea party with your daughter. An incredible church to watch God change lives with. Let's not miss it, okay? Let's not miss it. Let's not just go through the motions. 
We have been given the incredible gift of God's grace and his love through Jesus Christ. And in a few months, we're going to receive this incredible gift of this brand new church building that we're going to be moving into. And I will just say this. We had nothing to do with it. We're just not that good. This whole vision, this whole thing is all God. It is an act of sheer grace. We don't deserve any of it. And yet, just like many of the Hawkeye fans at the game that day, don't leave early. (laughs) Don't miss out. Don't check out. Don't sit on the sidelines. What I told our campaign team last fall, what I've, what I've told our staff and our leaders again and again and again, not in a, a judgmental comparison sort of way, but in a, in a realism sort of way, there are so many churches that never get to do a capital campaign for the reasons of expansion and growth, and yet we're embarking now on our third, well, we did start it last fall, on our third one in 10 years. <laughs> Most people never get to do this, and it's right in front of us right now. And so I don't want you to miss what God has in front of us these next few months. Like, let's, let's soak it all in. And just like Tim, just like the tax collector, let's get down on our knees and say, thank you, God, that I'm even in your house. Thank you that I get to give financially. Thank you that I get to serve. Thank you that I get to be a part of your church family, that you've invited us along on this incredible adventure with you called being the church. Thank you, God. And so last fall, we kicked off this giving campaign called Building to a Hope Beyond. And we thought the beyond was honestly beyond that wall right there uh, and up the hill. And we were going to do that. But as God often does, he shows off and he came and he provided this facility on university and it came on our radar. Now, thankfully, last fall, you're an incredibly generous church and you gave over $1.1 million to this expansion. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. And just in, 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 you voted unanimously a few weeks ago to take uh, those funds, those that have come in and those that are still to come in and take those funds and put them in the renovations that are very much needed uh, in some parts of this older church building, as well as to pay down the debt as we keep chipping away at that debt. Our hope is to be debt-free in three to five years. An incredible opportunity that we have. And so today in the back, there are, I want to draw your attention, there are these brand new campaign folders. And Ryan from our staff is back there today, and he'll have some. If you have questions, you can ask questions back there. But these are brand new because, well, it's all new uh, compared to where we were going uh, last fall. So we encourage you to check these out. In these are booklets, uh, our Q&As. Those of you that were at our vision night about a month ago, we listened to you, <laughs> and we wrote down every single question that you asked and hopefully answered it in that packet. There's a prayer guide. There's a giving guide so you understand what we believe as a church about finances. And then there's a commitment card in there that looks like this, and there's more in the back as well. And you can give at any point during the month of November as we go through this, kind of revisit this campaign. Uh, But we're going to do a special offering the weekend right before Thanksgiving, November 23rd and 24th as well. So you might ask, John, why are we revisiting this? Don't we kind of know what we're doing? Well, first, to encourage those of you that haven't given yet, we have a ways to go on the gifts and pledges that were given. And not only that, to, to keep knocking down our debt, as I said. But secondly, you may not know this, but there's 100 people that worship at Hope Des Moines on the weekends that weren't worshiping last fall. And we've grown by over 100. That's a small church. So can we give God praise for that? All the people that are new, are thankful for that. And hear me say this. If you are new today, you are just as much a part of this as somebody that's been here for a decade. And we want to give you the opportunity to be a part of this. And the last reason we're revisiting this during the month of November is because all is grace, including our money, including our time, 
including our talents and our gifts. It's all God's. And he invites us to be people that are radically generous with everything that we have. All is grace. And so this month, for some of you, that means prayerfully considering, you know, maybe I'm not tithing, (laughs) but Jesus calls me to, the Bible calls us to, and maybe if you're not ready for 10%, start at 1% or 2% and, and work your way there. For some of you, it's just starting with that regularly general fund tithing. For some of you, it's giving to the campaign, which is above and beyond your general fund tithing or fulfilling that commitment. For some of you, it's starting to serve and giving of your time and your talents. Why? (laughs) Because this is totally worth it. I've never been more convinced of that in my life. This mission is totally worth it. God's not just calling us to move locations. (laughs) God is calling us to fulfill this decades-long vision that as I talk to different leaders and churches and pastors and, and nonprofit leaders and faith-based organizations all over the country, this vision has been brewing for decades. And God has given us this building and the capacity to actually do it. We're going to build a 24-7 mission center in the heart of the city. And we're going to invite in other churches, other organizations, other nonprofits, other refugee and homeless ministries. We're going to partner with schools, even other churches under our own roof. And we need your help to do it. We need your help to do it. There is a city around us that is desperate for hope and healing and God's love, and that's why this matters. Don't leave the game early. Don't check out on your phone. Be right here, right now, fully present to what God has for us. And so during the month of November, I want to invite you to do three simple things. To gather, to grow, and to give. First, to gather for weekend worship every week. You're going to hear this vision that God's given us as a church, our 10 for 10 vision for the next 10 years. We don't want you to miss that next week. Secondly, I want to invite you to grow. I want you to pour into God's word during the month of November. I want to invite you to pray about it and say, God, what are you calling us to give? Not what have I done before, not what are other people doing. God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will for this church? And then take a step of faith and be obedient to it. And then the final G is to give. To give faithfully, to give generously with not an ounce of guilt or pressure. And if you feel one ounce, don't give. It's gotta be radical generosity out of the joy of your heart. I couldn't be more excited about the next couple months. I mean, I'm even more excited about the next couple months here at Hope Des Moines than I am a big Hawkeye win and then a college football game because we're making an impact for decades, for for generations to come. And on this Reformation weekend, I can't help be reminded the man that started this whole thing, (laughs) Jesus, was kind of a rebel. The man that took up the torch and started this Lutheran movement, Martin Luther, kind of a rebel, but not without a cause with a cause. And I'm reminded on this Reformation Day that what it means to be Lutheran is to be people that have been transformed, radically transformed by the grace of God. And they cannot help but share it. To be rebels with a cause to challenge and change the city around us. And it starts by getting on our knees and saying, although I'm a great sinner, I have a great savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he is worthy of my worship and our worship today. Amen? Let's not just talk about it. Let's sing about it. Let's stand and let's worship together.